This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. Thank you very much to Nosi Pokhadebe, to Lebohang Pogela, and to the news teams. Um, as is customary on a Monday, we then go into the headlines for this weekend and quite a few things to discuss. Letlokonolo Tlohi Musua is our guest political analyst and social commentator. Good morning. Good morning, Sisleato. How are you this morning? Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. Uh, my voice still hasn't come back full throttle, but here we are. Okay, there's a lot for us to talk about, but I just want to start with something else. This this yes. issue of the ANC, we're told, asking President Tabombeki to please step in and help them. The Times Live, uh, their headline says, uh, ANC sent an SOS to Tabombeki, and there are many similar kinds of headlines, an SOS, a lifeline, desperate measures, desperate times, and of course, our last caller in the open line saying the audacity when they treated the former president so badly and now asking him to campaign for them. What's the likelihood that he would? He would because former President Mbeki, whilst he's never renounced his ANC membership, um, mm. has always been openly critical about things that are happening there. He's been critical unequivocally about the Palapala scandal. Uh, In the last um, NEC meeting, he had a lot of things to say about former President Zuma. Um, In the past, he's made utterances about the delayed reforms, the renewal project lacking integrity. And then five months ago, at the Tabombeki Leadership uh, uh, Institute uh, at UNISA, he gave a rousing speech and, in, and, and he said many things. But one of the things he said is, how am I ever going to campaign or go and ask people to vote for an ANC led by local criminals? In good conscience, how can I go out and say people must believe in the ANC in its current form? So considering that this has been his headspace in the last five months, would he agree to campaign for the party that he grew up in, that he loved so much? And that is the million-dollar question. And certainly the headline in and of itself really does speak to a ruling party that can kind of be considered to be a little nervous with the rate at which things are going, certainly with the uptick in the popularity of the EFF, but as well, you know, the antics and the escapades of uh, former President Jacob Zuma and the emergence and his support of the MK party. And so there is this belief, and rightly so, as you say, can they ask this of him considering how they treated him, ousting him, and, you know, quite literally lambasting him and his legacy at a point in time. But what you see here is the ruling party understanding the popularity that the former president uh, enjoyed amongst both uh, supporters of the ANC as well as uh, the general South African public, not to say that his presidency was not marred with its own controversies, but as far as being an intellectual and as far as being a certain a moral figure, he certainly continues to hold that gravitas yeah. which they need at this point in time. What remains to be seen, of course, is whether or not he will do it. But as we've come to know and understand in politics, 
there are no permanent friends, there are no permanent enemies. Yeah. And what we have come to see, especially where members of the ruling party are concerned, is even especially the Star Wars, even if they would stand in criticism of their ruling party somewhere along the line, you would find them still trying to motivate for, you know, the supremacy of the party. So it remains to be seen, but the likelihood of the former president uh, reneging on what he has said, he will still support. And as he has always said, he will continue to be a disciplined member. But as to him reneging and actively campaigning, that remains to be seen. But between you and me, I do not think it's a likely thing that we would see happening, but they will try nonetheless. Okay, so uh, the ball's in the proverbial Mbeki court now. It's up to him now to decide what happens. Yeah, because his words and his utterances have been uh, unequivocal. And you did say something, you know, is that he has the gravitas and the moral high ground, but he also has the track record, you see. So the issues that, that, that afflict the ANC is all about integrity, service delivery, uh, and accountability. And on all those metrics, uh, President Mbeki's administration stacks up. And that's what they're trying to conjure up, is this idea that there was a time when we got things done. But do you think voters could be swayed by the fact that 15 years ago, South Africa had its glory years because we had an administration that was working? Do you think that people would would resolve um, to... to or, or people would defer to that nostalgia when right now there are no lights, there's no water, there are big potholes on the road, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. It, 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 it really is a, a, a complicated one. It's, it's, a, it's a web, if you will, because certainly many have believed and many have continued to articulate that one of the things that keeps the ANC going is this notion of we were the party, uh, you know, that was ruling out outside of apartheid. We were the biggest liberation movement in the struggle against apartheid. Uh, we had those glory years. And that level of nostalgia, whether we like it or not, uh, it, it, it really does have a certain pull to a certain group of people. And I think the ANC uses it in, 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 in a two-pronged way to be able to remind people that this is what we were able to do. But similarly so, in doing so, they also create this essence of understanding that, okay, well, we might have uh, messed things up a little, but understand this, that uh, we're the only ones that have been doing it. So when you want to have an alternative, whose alternative that you're going to go for? Yeah. Because... No one has that track record. So they use the olden days to invoke that sense of nostalgia. And to a certain extent, for a certain portion of uh, the electorate, it certainly works. But the other aspect or the inverse uh, analysis thereof is to be able to say, yes, we have the track record. And yes, those were the glory days. But fact of the matter is this. We're the ones who gave you the glory days. So are you going to take a chance on people that you don't know? Or will you rather stick it out Mm -hmm. with us because, well, we've been around. And so it's a double-edged sword that they use to their advantage, uh, which has worked well. It remains to to be seen, rather, if it will still work for them in this coming election. All right. So let's move on. Uh, The news of the death of the Namibian President Haige Gaingop. Um, he was already far gone in years. He was an 82-year-old man, uh, but he succumbed to cancer, is what we're told. 
um, and he'd announced perhaps about five months ago that he uh, has been diagnosed with a form of cancer. I don't know which one. Uh, and then he did undergo some treatment and then he came back home. And even in the midst of all of this, he has been seen uh, doing quite a few public engagements. So it does come as a bit of a surprise, doesn't it? It really does. And certainly we, we, we stand in mourning with the people of Namibia at this passing. And the passing of President Gangob is one that really has, as you say, sent shockwaves based on the fact that whilst you understand his advancement in age being an octogenarian uh, and looking at you know the severity of the illness understanding how cancer can be severe but understanding that with his public appearances the perception was that it was not necessarily something you know to be of a serious uh, nature it was not in it, in its advanced stages and he had certainly undergone uh, medical procedures and underwent treatment mm. both in the USA and in his home country where mm. he uh, later passed on uh, this past weekend. But it is a, 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 a death that has certainly left the country in, in shock, certainly based on the gravitas once again and the historical relevance that he has having been okay. uh you know their first prime minister following independence from apartheid south africa then elected and being of course the longest serving and then elected its third president and so he has been this national figure this father figurehead for the nation mm-hmm. and for for the nation of namibia he 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 somewhat holds a the, the same level of respect that uh, our former elder statesmen uh, such as Nelson Mandela and the likes would have held uh, just based on his role in the country and what has made his death even more stinging certainly is the level of understanding that in a country where or in a continent rather where at times there is this narrative around heads of state and not necessarily being transparent with everything he was able to be upfront with people to be able to say, well, this is what's happening with me currently. This is what I am going through. Mm. Uh, And, you know, that was able to humanize him. And I think that in and of itself has just, uh, even now in his death, that has endeared him more to people with the understanding of the fact that he was, as many Namibians and reports have come out to say, an embodiment of transparency and accountability. Okay, and also I think, you know, presiding over Namibia through some of the best years, but also, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, on the back of recessionary pressures, etc., COVID-19, he was the head of state and he's often regarded as uh, one of the more intellectual of the uh, Namibian uh, revolutionary. So he is a freedom fighter. He's been a SWAPO member forever. He was the SWAPO representative at the United uh, Nations in the 1960s. He'd lived and studied in America for many, many years, uh, lobbying very strongly for Namibian independence uh, in international fora and um, was often regarded as a thinker and a thought leader uh, within the political establishment, whereas others are, you know, um, soldiers of the revolution. He was one of the intelligentsia in the revolution and how he approached government, leadership, constitutionality, policy was always informed by that. It certainly was and it is something that has 
really resonated with so many and it is his presidency and this you you know this level of thinking that he brought about that really kind of created if you will an understanding especially within namibia that this is this is the blueprint of 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 what we need a head of state mm-hmm. to be and certainly we can understand uh, the struggle credentials that many may have and we can understand uh, the, the role that many played but for us this is the approach that we need to undertake and this is what yeah. we will be willing to accept and i think from this is really a from his passing and certainly his legacy and his approach to government especially when you consider uh, what he had to deal with his first term dealing with the recession then the pandemic and how he navigated all those things it really now does call outside of you know creating this constant conversation mm. around african leaders and age but it calls for you know a certain rising if you will of okay. of of that sense of intelligentsia being the approach to yeah. To, to governance and government, and I think his legacy is one that will be a, a, a seed that is planted to be able to say, let us go back to actually, yeah. you know, having those intelligent and those 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 well thought leaders being the ones to lead yeah. us in government because there's a sense of uh, direction, if you will. Yeah. Okay. Well, may the soul of Haige Gaingob. Uh, rest in peace. And of course, Namibians will be going to the polls in November. That was already scheduled. Uh, Mm -hmm. And within the ruling party, they've already had a party congress long before the events of this weekend that had appointed a new president for Swapo and their presidential candidate, the first ever woman. And so if Swapo wins the elections, which some people say, well, it's a foregone conclusion, but if Swapo wins the elections, Namibia... Uh, will be having its first woman president uh, at the end of the year who would have been the chosen successor to Heige Geingob, who was scheduled to retire anyway at the end of this year. Okay, let's talk about the IEC saying just over a million in voter registrations this weekend. Some are new votes, uh, voters, um, and others are those changing addresses and sorting out the admin around uh, their status and voting rights. But a good turnout nonetheless. So do we have an indication of where we stand considering these voter registration weekends in November and now, whether we're seeing a significant uptake or not? Well, certainly going into the second voter registration weekend, uh, there was an uptake uh, the the, the, the results off of the back end of the first one uh, was the fact that we had now seen the breaching of the 27 million mark as far as registered voters are concerned, of which still to that extent women make up uh, 55% of those registered and men making up uh, 45% of that. Yeah. And so there has been that uptick or that improvement. And now, of course, as the final uh, results and the final registrations from this past weekend are being totaled and tallied and of course the report coming in of uh, there being over a million over the course of the weekend there are still of course opportunities to be able to register and so we would probably then see uh, the breaching then of the 28 million mark which would be of course the registered population of our country and certainly 
from that, we then will be able to see what to expect mm. from an electoral perspective. Now, of course, what many are thinking of understanding is understanding the fact that, you know, it has been uh, monikered the most uh, consequential election mm-hmm. in, in, in our modern day democracy. What remains to be seen following this registration and the ongoing registrations that will happen up until the announcement and the declaration of the elections is will that registration then be able to be turned into an actual vote come whichever day uh, the elections will be slated for. All right. And many people have said a lot of things about what happens next. Uh, You still need to push up the numbers. So the IEC is really encouraging those who haven't to please uh, use the online facilities or if they're not sure how to use them to visit the local IEC office to get themselves registered. Because once the president proclaims the date of an election, you'll no longer be eligible to register to vote. So you can't afford to make this decision at the last minute. You just want to be on the voters' roll and then you can decide later on whether you want to actually participate or not. But make sure you're on the voters' roll is what the IEC is saying. The DA pushing for funds to be diverted from other departments in the Eastern Cape so that uh, they can support a scholar patrol, uh, a, a scholar transport system. So apparently, 150 million is needed in a budget to transport school pupils to school. Uh, of this amount, 74 million was allocated for advertising, 77 million for catering, but not actually to transport 40,000 learners who need to be ferried to school. And it's part of a system that's in the Eastern Cape because the Eastern Cape is made up of so many peri-urban and rural areas where people have to go over hills and rivers and lakes to get to schools. We've seen those harrowing visuals. And budget cuts means that the transport scheme uh, has suffered and uh, anywhere between 40,000 and 112,000 pupils um, are without a way to get to school. And some are having to walk 20 kilometers to school. This is really one of, I don't know if I can call it a saddening, but it, it, it is saddening because from a moral perspective, it just doesn't make sense. But unfortunately, this is a story that happens to be a very brazen and very uncomfortable reality in our country and certainly when you think of the fact that the official opposition in the Eastern Cape, the DA, asking the provincial government to divert that amount of money towards transport for school pupils, it then brings into question and it really then uh, is a cause for concern to understand what were budgetary you know, what were budgetary allocations for in the first place that if you did not see this as a necessity all this time? I mean, when you look at those numbers, which are extremely glaring and extremely, extremely saddening, I mean, if you think about the fact that about 40,000 plus students uh, would be left stranded, how many students are those that get who are in matric, who are trying to better their lives, how many of them are left to be stranded. They miss out on days of education. They miss out on the ability to be able to advance themselves. And that's all because of a lack of budgeting, a lack of, I don't even want to say a lack of awareness, but what really presents itself as a lack of non-care to what must be the most fundamental Mm. of of, 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 of sectors to look after. It is my belief, certainly, that 
as a government anywhere, nationally or provincially or even locally, if you ensure that your health care and your education are well taken care of, yeah. then you understand that you have a greater sense or a greater probability of actually developing and creating a better standard yeah. of living. But these are realities, once again, that have long plagued mm-hmm. uh, the Eastern Cape. The year does not end yeah. with us, not uh, when there are torrential rains or yeah. whatever natural uh, disasters or causes, the year does not end with us okay. without us seeing pictures of right. young people uh, navigating through rivers or just standing across a road that or yeah. what used to be a road yeah. and is just one Washed big away. gaping hole yeah. and 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 you ask yourself what then is the next possible solution to mm. this if government in itself cannot even be able to budget with the understanding yeah. that this is for the benefit of future generations. Completely. And just on that note, we've run out of time. Trevor Manuel, former finance minister, former minister of national planning, ANC stalwart, says cater deployment is one of the reasons we're seeing things like this. Cater deployment is the reason the quality of public administration has declined and regressed exponentially. Uh, is anybody listening to Trevor Manuel? Uh, and um, are his words accurate? Certainly what we have come to realize is he is the first of many of the ANC stalwarts that have really come to, you know, lambast this notion of cater deployment. And he's the first of many, and he certainly won't be the last either. And what we come to see is we hear the ruling party constantly, uh, you know, position themselves as being in the space of renewal, being in the space of trying to, you know, regain the trust and all of that. But if you have... Uh, members who still form part of its uh, decision bodies, part of its advisory bodies, being able to come out on public platforms and be able to lambast something such as this. It shows then that what we're hearing from them and what are their intentions and what is the reality are certainly two different things. So at this point in time, they don't seem to be listening, but they hold on to hope, I guess. Only time will tell. All right. So measured, but so lucid and clear. Thank you so much for joining Thank us. Thank you this so morning. very much. Time for the news. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.